following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. You know, this week's been a big week for Australians. Um, when a Prime Minister gets up and declares we are ramping up the alert level for terrorism in our country to high, and, and then the next day... Um, just like all hell breaks loose, 800 policemen arrest three people. Um, it just puts everybody on edge. And, and I sense there's a lot of people on edge. So I thought, you know what, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, um, let's give a biblical response to opposition. So this morning, I want to give you a biblical response to opposition. The fact is that it not only applies to what's going on in our country, but it applies to anyone that's being opposed. If you're in a scenario where there's opposition, you're in a scenario, you know, and some people every single day are in a scenario where there's this, 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 feeling of unrest on the inside because you're just surrounded by opposition and you're surrounded by angst and it's a horrible place to be. How do you respond as a Christian? What's, what's the Christian response? Well, that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Acts chapter 1? And we're going to read a passage of Scripture that seems really distant from this topic, but it's connected, it's related. So this is what it says in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 6 to 8. Now let me give you the background to this story. So this takes place on the day of ascension. Jesus had died, he rose from the dead, and then 40 days later, he ascends to heaven. So this, this account takes place about 40 days after the resurrection. So there's been communication between Jesus and the disciples. There's been revelation of who Jesus is. And now here they are on the Mount of Ascension. Jesus is about to go into heaven. And the disciples thought they'd ask him a question. This is what it says. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds and says, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You say, what's the connection between these two passages of Scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked that because there's a great connection. Now, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the key text for Pentecostals. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But it's interesting to put that key text into context. What's interesting about it? Well, it's interesting because it's about worldviews. It's about the way that we view life and the way that we view the world and how our worldview colors what we see. So the disciples 
had still been coloured, their worldview had still been coloured with the way that they'd been brought up, which was under the whole cultural system which was based in the Old Testament. So the disciples were Jews based in the Old Testament and they'd heard about God delivering the Jews out of captivity. They'd they'd read about Moses and delivering them out of Egypt. They'd read about Joshua and setting up the kingdom of Israel. They'd read about all that sort of stuff and, and they still had that worldview in mind. Now they were living in a scenario where they weren't ruling, but the Romans were ruling. They were living in a scenario where they were dominated by the Romans and the Romans ruled and reigned their world and they were submitted to the Romans, but they knew that Jesus was going to come and set up his kingdom. And so they were saying, okay, so when's it going to happen? When are heads going to roll? When are these Romans going to be kicked out? When are we going to be Israel, the power force again? And Jesus basically says, you still haven't got it. You still don't understand what I have come to do. And then he says, the power that you're looking for is not a spiritual, is not a physical power, but it's a spiritual power. What I'm wanting for you to do is not set up a physical domination over people. How many of you know that if you were going to physically dominate people, it really is like trying to push water uphill? Why is that? Because they're just looking for a season or a time to rebel. You can't physically force anybody to do anything and think that you're going to win. Because you, you might force someone to stand up. But on the inside, they're sitting down. The fact is that you can't force anybody to do anything. But when spiritual power is at work, spiritual power works on the inside. And on the inside, you get transformation. And so they were looking for physical power. And Jesus says, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. But it's not the power that you think about. This is another power. And this power will enable you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when this power comes upon you, you'll be able to transform the world. And it's not through physical strength. It's through spiritual strength. So I said that as a basis for you to understand that when there is opposition against us as Christians, we need to understand the true source of that opposition and where that opposition is coming from. So, so let, let, let me just start off by just saying that when opposition comes our way, we need to understand where the true source is. And Paul says it so beautifully and so eloquently in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 12, when he expresses it this way, for you wrestle, for you battle, for you fight, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And then he begins to explain and he gives this, this, this expansion 
of, of the, the powers that are at play in spiritual realms. Because too often, we're just looking at a physical, at a physical manifestation without looking behind the scenes and seeing the spirits that are controlling. Now you say, but John, you're being so spooky. You're being super spiritual. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm telling you, this is the truth. And if you don't understand this, then, then your eyes are blinded. Because just as there is a real physical world, there's also a real spiritual world. And as Christians, we of all people ought to understand that. Why? Because God is spirit. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. And the only way that we access the, the, the power and the presence of God is in a, a spiritual term. And so we believe this, that the spiritual affects the physical. And so what we need to understand is when opposition attacks, it's not just a physical. It can use physical, but it's spiritually motivated and spiritually dominated. Can I just tell you that the main goal of spiritual opposition is to oppose the cross. See, the most powerful spiritual force that exists in the universe for us is the power of the cross. Everybody say the power of the cross. And so Paul actually describes this opposition as enemies of the cross in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 18, you can read this, Philippians 3, 18, where Paul describes spiritual opposition as enemies of the cross. Why is the cross so important to us? Because it's the pivotal point of all of history. History is divided right down the middle by the cross of Jesus Christ. We have BC and AD. It's before Christ, Anno Domino, after Christ. Everything is divided by the cross of Christ. It's, it's the focal point. It's the center of human history. And so for us as Christians, we know the power of the cross. We know that nothing can wash away our sins but the blood of Jesus. We sing that old hymn, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed upon the cross, the life that flowed out of him, where he exchanged his life for our life. It's the center point. It's, it's, it's the focus point. And so my job in life is to help people journey to the cross to the place of redemption, to the place of forgiveness, to the place of bondage breaking. It's the power of the cross. And anything that opposes the cross becomes an enemy of the cross. And let me tell you, that is birthed in spiritual forces of darkness that want to blind people from the fact. And so, and so an enemy of the cross is all the philosophies. And all the philosophies... And worldviews that oppose the cross are our spiritual enemies. So a philosophy that says, it's okay, you, you, your way of salvation is to do good. Or, or karma, karma, that's the way of salvation. You just go, go through life and do good. And in the end, you'll be weighed in the balances. Well, who's going to weigh you in the balances? Karma will. What's karma? Well, the force. Well, what's the force? It's to, 
something. Describe it to me. And you see them start to get red in the face because they don't know. They're just this word karma, force. The force be with you. What, what is that? Huh? What is that? It's a movie. Okay. So we now follow a movie. Worship down at a movie. See, it's, see, this is the thing, is that we will be weighed in the balances. But by the creator of the... Well, see, there you go again, this creator. Don't you know that the world just came into being? It just happened with a big bang and it all came together. <laughs> and, and what, you call yourself intelligent? So yeah, but science says... Well, science says that? Yes, it does. Well, what I find amazing with science is that the definition of science is something has to be repeated. And every time it is repeated, it gives the same results. And that's the definition of science. Is that right? That's the basis of science. So, so if you weren't there and it can't be repeated, how can you be so dogmatic? Well, this is what we think. Ah, now we're getting it right. What you think as opposed to science. See, any philosophy that removes God out of the equation is an enemy to the cross. When a philosophy starts to try to explain this world and removes God out of the picture, it's an enemy to the cross. And it can call itself by any name that it wants to, but it's an enemy of the cross. And I'll speak against it. Why is that? Because it's an enemy of the cross. Now you say, what, are you opposing people now? We're going to get to that in a moment. I'm opposing spiritual forces of darkness that are at work to try to remove people from the focal point, which is the cross of Christ. Another way that the Bible explains this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now let's talk about that for a little while. The Antichrist. First John chapter 2, verse 18 and 22 talks about the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me tell you one of the problems that we have. With well-meaning Christians that are looking for the appearance of the person of the Antichrist. Because most people, when they hear Antichrist, kind of think of this, this deceiving person that will rise up in the last days and, 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 and will appear as, 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 as Christ, but in actual fact be the opposite of Christ. What John talks about is this, is that the Antichrist is a spirit that's at work right now. And it was at work 2,000 years ago. And it stays at work. And the purpose of the Antichrist is to actually be anti-Christ. And so any spirit that denies that Christ came in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. Any spirit that denies this incredible truth that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us is the spirit of the Antichrist. Any spirit that denies that Jesus is the Son of God is the spirit of the Antichrist. Any doctrine that denies who Jesus Christ is in his reality is the spirit of the Antichrist. And they're the forces that we fight. And so you don't fight those forces physically. 
you fight them spiritually. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, of, of, of stuff that happens in your mind. The biggest battle that you need to fight is the battle of your mind, where there are spiritual forces trying to brainwash you into wrong thinking. And so it's so important that you get exposed to the Bible. You get exposed to preaching like this so that your eyes become open to the reality of what's going on in this world. Second point I want to make is, what did Jesus say about how we respond to opposition? So so I, I want to make this very clear that as New Testament people, we have to filter everything that comes our way from the Bible through what Jesus taught through the New Testament. Because let me tell you something, the Old Testament is very, very different to the New Testament. Can anybody say amen to that? Man alive, I don't know how we got away with teaching some of the Bible stories out of the Old Testament to little kids, impressionable kids. I mean, the boys loved it, the girls would sort of have nightmares. It's like, the boys say, yeah, give me that story again. He did what? And when, when they show the Old Testament movies, the boys play rewind on, on certain things. You know, yeah, yeah, give me part of that. I mean, even in the Jesus movie, uh, was a, a sort of little kid where Peter chops the ear off one of the, one of the priests. Yeah, let's play that one again. Whoa, that was awesome. Yeah, let's do that one again. And it's like, how, how did Jesus respond? What did Jesus say to Peter when Peter was responding from an Old Testament worldview? How did Jesus respond? Peter, what are you doing? And Jesus picks up that ear, puts it back on, heals it right there on the spot. He says, let me fix up that mistake big time with a miracle. I mean, that would be enough for people to go, whoa, you did what? Man, let's leave this guy alone. But, you know, they were blinded by spiritual forces. Let me not get sidetracked here. So here we have the disciples right up until this day still being affected with Old Testament worldviews, Old Testament cultures, and Jesus is trying to put into them a New Testament culture, a New Testament worldview. And so this is what Jesus says. This is how to deal with people that oppose you. Are you ready for it? Matthew 5.44. Open it up. Matthew 5.44, because this is, for us as New Testament believers, this is the way that we need to react to people who oppose us. This is what it says in Matthew 5. Let's read from verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They're going, yeah, yeah, we love that. You love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. And Jesus says, but I say to you, are you ready for this? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Where does that come from? What, what sort of teaching is this? This is heaven's teaching. This is 
not a worldly culture, but a heavenly culture that is so different to the way that the world thinks. So Jesus is saying, this is the way that you respond to your enemies. You love them, you bless them, you do good to them, and you pray for them. Jesus, this is just too hard. Yet, in the flesh it is. But once we get our worldview changed, then we start operating under a godly. So, so how do we do this? How do you love someone who's opposing you? That's a great question. Let me give you just some clues on how to love people who are opposing you. Are you ready for this? You need to separate the individual from the behavior. What we tend to do is that we tend to define people by their behavior. And as soon as you do that, it's really difficult to love if you don't like the behavior. But as soon as you've learned to separate the person from the behavior, then you can love them and not necessarily their behavior. And too often what happens is that we define people by their behavior. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly we define people. Here's an interesting one. How many of you remember the story where this man comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can heal me from leprosy. And what have we always called this man? The leper. And so we've actually defined him by his sickness. He's never known as the man who had a family that lived a normal life, but got struck down by leprosy and had to be separated from his family and life. He's always been known as the leper. The leper came to Jesus and we define. It's so easy for us to define people by either their sickness or their behavior or their sin or something we like or we don't like about them. And, and if you're defining someone by their behavior, then you're missing the point. So we had Marilyn Hickey come to our church quite a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago. And she was saying that whenever she goes to Pakistan and does meetings in Pakistan, her introduction is, I love Muslims. And I remember just how confronting that was to me. Just her going there in the first place as a little old lady. I mean, she'd probably get upset if I called her a little old lady, but <laughs> she's advanced in years and uh, just a beautiful lady. But this whole thing of, I love Muslims. Why, why was she able to say that? Because she was able to separate the people from their worldview. So she wasn't saying, I love Islam. She was saying, I love Muslims. Able to separate the people from what you know about their belief system. Can you do that? Can you separate that? Because if you can do that, then you can start to love people. To love people. And so what we need to do is also divide the person from their sinful behavior. And if you can do that, then we'll always be building bridges to people rather than walls. What we don't need at the doors of this church are the moral police that say who's allowed and who's not allowed in our church. But just to say, whoever, whosoever will can come. 
and that we won't define you by your behavior. You can just come the way you are and we'll love and build a bridge. And hopefully, we might be able to influence you with our worldview. But you can never influence anybody with your worldview if the first impression they have of you is that you hate them. How can you, how can you build a preach to people if they feel that you hate them? We are not called to hate people. We're called to love people. Can anybody say amen to that? So then Jesus says, okay, you love them, then you bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Oh, God, how do we bless people that are opposing us? Well, just by speaking good of them. That's pretty hard. Well, see, this is, this is the definition. You're either speaking good of them, which is blessing, or you're speaking bad of them, which is cursing. So every time you speak bad of somebody, you're cursing them. So every time that we say, and we get into that rant and rave or that gossip, you're actually cursing. And Jesus says, that's not what I want you to do. Why? Because again, we've got to separate people from their worldview, their ideologies that we might not necessarily like. And there's, there's plenty of worldly ideologies and worldviews that are enemies of the cross. But can we separate people from their worldview? Can we just begin to speak well of people? Begin to speak well of people who are just trying to live their lives to the best way they know how. Can we separate those two things and just begin to speak well? Then the third thing that Jesus says is for us to do is to do good to them. Come on, do good. How many of you know that every time you do good to somebody, you're building a bridge? Do good. Can you do good? You're called to do good. I love this, this passage in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. So, so, so we, we, we look at how he went and healed the sick and cast out devils, but we don't, we don't focus on how he went about doing good. Just went doing good. That was his methodology of doing good. And as soon as he did that, people were gathered around him. How many of you know that Jesus drew crowds of people? Why? Because they loved the good that he was doing. They might necessarily have agreed with all of his teaching, but they just loved the fact that he was able to heal sick people. They loved the fact that he did that, and that was good. How many of you know that, that there's a lot of people that may not agree with our philosophy, our worldview, our Christian experience, but they'll come here just to receive the good? And I love that, that we can just, with no strings attached, just say, yeah, we can do good. We can do good. We can bless you. We had people here on Thursday um, from a different worldview to us, very different worldview to us, but they needed our help, and so... We came, we showed them our church, um, we helped them, we gave them food. But their worldview is very different to ours. Yeah, it is different. But you know what? They left having received something that they wouldn't receive if we hadn't done good. See, too often we think, oh, we've got to give them the message. You know what? The message will come after the goodness. Build a bridge. Just build a bridge. You've got a neighbor that's, that's really agitating you. 
Have you got a neighbor that just agitates you? Why don't you bake him a pie and a nice one? Yeah, I'll bake him a pie, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a nice one. Do something good. Why don't you mow their lawns? Yo, you don't know my neighbor. You know what? You'll never win them if you don't start doing good. Yeah, well, until they turn around. Well, someone's got to turn around. And you know, who's the first? The strongest will be the first to turn around. So if you're the strongest, then you be the first. Just do good. It's just an amazing thing how goodness melts people's hearts. And then fourth, love them, bless them, do good to them, pray for them. Pray for them. You know what I find amazing? As soon as you start to pray for people, and I'm not talking about break their legs and smash their teeth. I'm not. Actually, I heard, I heard someone pray like that once in a prayer meeting. <laughs> you know, God, just break their legs. I'm not talking about that. That means rebuking that sort of praying. But just seriously, the prayer that Jesus prayed, when he was on the cross being crucified by the Romans, his prayer was, Father, forgive them. So he's setting us the example of praying for people. Father, forgive them. Father, can you bless them? And how many of you know that the beginning of blessing is obedience? And just by praying that, then maybe something begins to happen in their hearts and And something begins to soften in their hearts where you just start praying for people and blessing people. It's just an an incredible thing. I don't know if you've um, seen um, one of the YouTube videos that are going around of the family. There's this wife and four kids. And they're the family of the guy who got killed at the gun gun place in America where the nine-year-old girl was was being taught to use the Uzi machine gun and she lost control and ended up killing the instructor. There's, there's a YouTube video going around that you ought to watch because it's the four kids whose father got taken away tragically by this nine-year-old girl's or parents. I don't know what the heck went on there. Why you'd give a nine-year-old girl an Uzi, I got no idea. But these four kids lost their dad. And you know, they're praying for this nine-year-old girl. They're saying, I, we don't want you to go through life defining yourself by this action. We forgive you. And uh, you, you, you ought to Google it. You ought to watch it because it's so, so powerful. These four children who are going to go through life without a dad, forgiving and praying for this nine-year-old girl. It's very, very powerful. I really believe that that's the essence of Christianity. What these kids were doing is the essence of Christianity where you're actually praying for people, not cursing them or wishing them ill. It's so powerful. And that's what changes the world. Can can I just tell you that violence will not change the world? Fighting fire with fire will not change the world. But the most powerful force in the world is the force of love the power of prayer, to change mindsets. And that's, as God's people, that's what we're called to do. We're not called to raise up arms and and, uh, get violent in that respect. Just let me press pause for a little while and, and just 
give you... Is this feeding back or is it... Uh, it's feeding back or it's great? Okay. What happens if you're in a scenario where you're being abused? What happens if you're in a scenario where your boundaries are being pushed beyond where you're comfortable? Well, can, can I tell you what's really important there is that you make it very clear where your boundaries are. Every single person needs to have enough fortitude to be able to say, no, this is my boundary. And if people are crossing those boundaries, you know, there is no excuse for you being bashed. If you're in a relationship where you're being bashed, there is no excuse for that. And we have laws in this land that stop you from being bashed. So I'm not talking about, you know, just, you know, stay there and, 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 and continually be abused. So you make, your, you make your point known saying, this behavior is unacceptable. And so if the person continues in the behavior that's unacceptable, how many of you know that we have a justice system in Australia? And our justice system is a very well-defined and a justice system that actually demonstrates our civility as human beings. How many of you know that there's plenty of countries in the world where their justice system shows how barbaric they are? Can you imagine a justice system where a woman gets raped and she gets punished when she reports it? What sort of a justice system is that? That's a crazy justice system. Or a justice system that basically says 12-year-old girls can get married off. What sort of a justice? That's barbaric. That's a mindset that is certainly not the mindset that we want in our country. But in our country, there are laws, and, 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 and we're able to access. You say, what does it say that in the New Testament? I'm glad you asked that question, because Jesus actually used that as a parable in Luke chapter 18. How many of you know the story of the widow? Because Jesus starts the parable in Luke 18 saying, people ought to always pray and not to lose heart. How many of you know that passage? And then he explains and gives the story of the widow who needed justice from the judge. And, and basically, he was commending the fact that she kept appealing to the judge for justice until justice came her way. And so what that says to us is this, is that it's right to have laws in place, and it's right to appeal to those laws when our boundaries are being pushed. So I needed to say that just to balance it all up. Have you got that? You got that. Okay, I'm, I'm just about finished. And Amelia, you can come up anytime. And, um, and I want to finish off with this. Don't lose sight of the main focus. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And what can happen in times like this where, oh, you know, there's terrorists and there's people out to get us and, and whatever, and you can get troubled in your heart. Can I just say that you need to focus on the fact that God is at work, and these are the last days, but the last days ends well. Can I just say to you that we end up winning? Can I, can I just say that Jesus Christ ends up ruling and reigning forever and ever and ever? And so you've got to take your eyes off the temporary trouble, because temporary trouble will always be there, and start to see the eternal the eternal outcome, and the eternal outcome is that we get to rule and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. Some of you are worried about, what's going to happen to my kids? 
Well, you put them into God's hands and they'll do well. You know, just put them into God's hands and they'll do well. But what about all the trouble that's going on? Get your eyes off the trouble. Because the trouble is temporary. Yeah, but there's lots of trouble. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. How many of you know the best way to get trouble out of your heart is to put eternity in your mind? He's put eternity in our hearts. Come on, get trouble out of your hearts and focus on the right thing. See, I I believe this, that the gospel has to be preached in all the earth as a witness, and then the end will come. See, for me, all this does, it motivates me to keep preaching the gospel. For me, it just keeps motivating me to go into all the world and share with them the love of Jesus. Why? Because there's nothing more beautiful than the love of Jesus. There's nothing more beautiful. And I really believe this, that in these last days, people are not looking for violence. They're not looking for, yeah, we got to kill people. They're looking for a message of, where does peace come from? Well, it comes from the Prince of Peace. It comes from the one who came to deal with our past, to give us a present, and to give us hope for the future. See, that's, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. And so he's the answer. He's the solution. And so it's important for us to stop focusing on how bad the world is and start focusing on how good God is. Stop focusing in on, on the troubling times and start focusing in on the eternal times. Stop focusing in on what the enemy is saying. Keep focusing on what God is saying. Stop focusing on who are those who are against you and start focusing in on who is the one who is for you. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So stop worrying about what's happening in the world and start focusing about what God's doing in the spiritual realm and start praying and start focusing on the fact that Jesus is about to come and we'll rule and reign with him forever. And in these last days, we've got a job to do and that's to spread the love of Jesus, to spread the word and help people understand that there's a God of peace and a God of love that wants to come into their lives. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 